Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, my name is Sandy Tutwiler, and I'll be reading from John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sandy, thank you for reading the scripture today. Appreciate you doing that. So today we continue the series, Hope is Here, that we began last week. Last week we talked about hope for the weary. We all know what it is to be tired. Sometimes we get so tired that we're tired of being tired. And it seems like there's no way out of it. There seems like there's no way that we're going to someday feel okay again. And so it was great to hear the the encouraging word from prophet Isaiah that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will shall mount up as on wings of eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And to hear the, the hopeful words of Jesus, he is the bread of life, that, that that is what sustains us through all of our life, even through those tremendously difficult times when we're so, so tired and weary. So today we're going to talk about hope for the broken. Now, we talk about brokenness in some different ways. One of the ways we talk about brokenness is emotional brokenness. Uh, we've had uh, a, a trauma, a tragedy, somebody very close to us has died, that, that, those kinds of things that over time we can feel like I'm emotionally broken. Sometimes brokenness we talk, think about in, in terms of just life circumstances. Um, and some of you have been through that kind of thing before where it just seems like there's this steady stream of things that, that just go wrong and, and you're wondering, you, 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 uh, you lose your job and then you have significant medical expenses and then you have a, car, a minor car wreck and, then you, and it's just at a certain point, just life circumstances, you feel like I'm just broken from life. Well, there's another kind of brokenness that we talk about in uh, Christian tradition and, and that is in the sense of moral brokenness. I know, and as soon as you say that, some people start to squirm, think, oh, are we going to really talk about that? Uh, uh, you know, because, and, and there's a cringe factor, someone online just hit exit when you start talking about this kind of stuff. That, because, because we don't, we feel uncomfortable talking about moral brokenness. It's, we don't want a spotlight shown on our moral brokenness for one thing. Um, but then some of us have had bad experiences in church, with that kind of conversation, right? 
Sometimes it's not a conversation. Someone who, you've heard that preacher, you've been to that church camp, you've been somewhere where, boy, someone is just laying it on how sinful you are and how terrible that is, and, and you feel this tremendous, overwhelming sense of condemnation. So we've had those, some of us have had those kinds of experiences, and you think, oh, I don't know if I want to go down this path. Well, uh, we're going to we're going to we're going to go down the path. I mean, because because the other end of the extreme is that sometimes we think we may not even have any moral brokenness. So we can't ignore the teaching of the scripture. I mean, the Bible's pretty consistent all the way through. Uh, the summed up pretty well in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us, me included. All, all of us, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think, it's, I think it's true that a lot of times we think of sin as, as well, it's, 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 it's those people, right? It's those people who do those things, because I would certainly never do those things. And that's what we kind of think of when we think of moral brokenness. Well, that kind of actually brings us to the Scripture today. Jesus is in the temple courts. Now, the temple courts were a large area. I mean, you had the temple proper, but then you had this large area around, and people gathered there for all sorts of reasons, did business there. When Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers, temple courts is where that happened. So this is, and it's a large area, lots of people there. So there's no way everybody would have known everything going on in the temple courts. But that's where Jesus had gathered and with some, some people, and he was, began to teach. He sat down. That was the posture of the day. That's what teachers would do. They would sit down to teach. And so uh, while he's teaching, uh, these Pharisees and religious teachers interrupt, interrupt, barge in with this woman. I, kind of, I, I always love these kinds of scenes. I love to imagine what this would have been like. I'm trying to imagine Jesus going, you know, like, what? What are you doing? Pharisees and religious teachers. Remember, these would have been the people in that day and time who knew the Bible better than you. The people who could quote Scripture and you were afraid to have a conversation about the Bible with them because, boy, they knew way more than you and you'd feel out of your element in a hurry. They were the ones who really knew what was right and wrong and sinful and not sinful. So here they come with this woman while Jesus is teaching. Creates a spectacle, I'm sure, in that little corner of uh, the temple courts. She's been caught. Not just, this is not just rumor. Caught in the act of adultery. I had a couple of questions kind of come to mind immediately, don't they? Where's the guy? Right? <laughs> Why? Where's the guy? I mean, if, if truly caught, then there's going to be another person involved. Where's that person? Can't leave that person out. And it's not just for. And I'm not just talking practically. I'm not just. It's, and you can't push that aside as well. That was a patriarchal society. They wouldn't have. No, they would have. The law of Moses said, caught in the act, both man and woman should be stoned. So even by making a spectacle of this humiliated woman, they're leaving out part of the law that they claim to know so well. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so where's the guy? Second question, though, is why Jesus? I mean, right, he, he's not the high priest. I mean, why Jesus? He's at that, remember, at that day in time, the people then and there, Jesus, he was a, he was a traveling prophet. He, had, he was not yet recognized for who he really was. But he, was, he, was, he had drawn enough of a gathering that, people, that, that, that the religious authorities felt very threatened and needed to trap him. So, they, they bring her, this, uh, this woman caught in the act. The law says stone her. Jesus' reaction is to eh, just bend over and start drawing in the dirt. Now, a lot of people wonder, what did he draw? What did he write? You know, it says he wrote in the dirt. What did he write? And people have speculated all kinds of things, and there's actually a tradition. It's not in the ancient texts, but it's a tradition that he was writing down the sins of the men who brought the woman. The point of it, it really, is, is not so much what he was writing, but the fact he's saying, wow, I'm just not even going to engage this argument. It's so misguided, I'm not even going to engage it. Until he does straighten up again, he says, okay, so tell you what. Whoever among you has no sin, you throw the first stone. And he goes back to drawing in the sand. Now, I, I like to imagine these kinds of scenes, you know, to make them come alive. And, I, and I, I'm guessing that when he did that, when he lent, bent over again the second time, I guess it was, it was kind of a prolonged, awkward silence. Like, well, what? Well, wait. And I imagine, all oh, the scripture doesn't say it happened this way, but I, I imagine then you heard the thud of a stone hitting the ground. And then a second thud. And a third and fourth. And again and again and again and again and again. And then you could smell the dust as the angry accusers turned on their heels and stormed off. And Jesus straightens up and says to the woman, where, who's now by herself, where, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? No one condemns me. Well, neither do I. Now, we've got to remember, this has already been said back in John three seventeen. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. Jesus is not there to condemn I won't condemn you, but go and live, leave your life of sin. So you have grace. You have the grace of, I'm not going to condemn you. God didn't, Jesus didn't see her defined by the sin. He just saw a child of God. But he also called for repentance. That's what, that's what repent is, is to Change the direction of your life. Change the orientation. I, I was giving time and energy and thoughts toward this. I really need to do this. He's offering her grace and repentance. She's a broken woman. But there is grace and a new life. A couple of months ago, I think it was, um, one day I was at the sink 
Uh, I was washing dishes. That, that might surprise you. But I was. I was washing. I, do, I washed dishes. I was washing dishes. And I, and I reached over to grab a glass, but I wasn't paying real great attention, you know. And, and I just kind of reached. And as I did that, I could feel the end of my finger just, just tip the top of that glass. And I looked, and it didn't go flying. It just, it just started to fall over. You know how, time, how things go in slow motion? I mean, it just kind of slowly began to fall, and, you know, and, you're, and you're reaching, no. And, and before I could grab it, you know, as soon as it landed on that granite countertop, shatter. You know, just glass everywhere. It was broken. It was just broken, shattered. It was horrible. Interestingly, around the same time, I got a package in the mail one day, and it was a box, and the sender was an organization I'd never heard of. And I thought, why am I getting something from this organization? So I opened it up, and it was, it was, uh, it, it was nice. I mean, they had good, good, they had good materials promoting their organization, but the idea was, we're going to send you a gift, so you'll send us a gift. Um, and, uh, but the gift was kind of cool. It was like a little, little bag of whole bean coffee and a coffee mug. Oh, that's score. That's awesome. So uh, next day, uh, I'm going to make that coffee and use that coffee mug. And so I make the coffee, get the coffee mug, and I sit down uh, in the morning, and I'm going to read. And so I uh, take a sip, and I notice out of the corner of my eye, the coaster the mug was sitting on is wet. Well, I just thought, well, I must not have dried the mug very good when I was getting it ready. I just set it back down, read some more. Another drink. There's, there's, it's even wetter on the coaster now. So I, what is it? So I touched the bottom of the mug. Oh, it's just wet. What? So I go in. So I go in. Uh, so I get up and I go into the to the kitchen and I pour the coffee out. You'll never hear me say that word those, that sentence again ever. Poured coffee out. And, and so then, so I could look at the mug and sure enough, inside you know that that glaze that they put on the mugs and everything. So you could see this tiny crack. Down, going down that glaze, inside the mug, all the way down to the bottom. The liquid was just slowly seeping into that crack, and running down and coming out the bottom. It was broken. It was broken. Couldn't use it. When, when I think of our moral brokenness, I think we're probably somewhere on that spectrum of a shattered glass, to, well, it's not obvious, but it, it seeps through. At different times of our lives, different things that we do, say, ways we act, somewhere on that spectrum of where there's a really bad, lot of, lot of damage, maybe some collateral damage that happens because of our brokenness. All the way to, eh, it's not obvious on the surface, but it's there. Both are broken. But the good news is we're not, we're not inanimate objects. <laughs> we're, not, we're not defined by our brokenness. We're defined in the way that Jesus saw that woman, that we're children of God. So, the very next thing after this story, I mean the very next verse, is another one of those I am statements of Jesus, where he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That in our brokenness, 
there is light. There is light to be had. Light is an important theme throughout the Bible. In the Gospel of John, it begins with it. In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The first act of creation, God said, let there be light. After Moses had led the people out of Egypt through the, through the, the sea, out into the wilderness, God led them through the wilderness with the light of the pillar of fire. Light is an important theme throughout the Bible. And so when we think of light in our life, we think of that, that presence of Christ in a forgiving way, so that in a new life way, so that we experience grace. Just like he showed that woman, neither do I condemn you. Grace. We Methodists tend to think of grace in three different ways. We've, we talk about this and um, talk about it for a long time, so it was back in our roots, back in our history. Um, that grace is not monolithic. It's not just this one expression of God's grace, but there are different ways that we can experience God's grace. One of those is the grace that goes ahead of us, prevenient grace. Is what goes before, before we're even aware of it. That God's grace is active in our lives before we know it. If you've ever cared for a child, even for a little while, you've probably had that, uh, that, that thought go through your mind of, well, before the child is here, I need to look around. Is there any sharp objects I need to pick up? Is there anything, anything that I need to make sure they don't put in their mouth? I need to pick... That you're doing something before the child is even there, before the child is even aware of it, to protect the child. That is an act of grace before awareness. God extends grace, works in our lives and in our world before we're even aware of it. Then there's grace in the moment when you realize it, when you recognize it. And that's that justifying grace is what we call it, justifying grace, that, that it's in that moment where... You know, I think, I think of David, I think of stories like when David, remember he had that affair with Bathsheba? And then the prophet Nathan came to David and, and uh, he had been given a word of the Lord and he told this story to David about how a wealthy man stole the lamb of a very, very poor man. And David was mad thinking it was a, a story that really happened. He was like, oh, I'm find that person who did this. This is terrible that he stole the lamb, the only lamb that poor man had. And then Nathan said to him, you are the man. And David recognized what he had done. He had not only had the uh, affair with Bathsheba, but he had arranged for, conspired for her husband to be killed. And he recognized, oh my goodness. And in that moment, those, those, sometimes those kinds of moments may not be that dramatic, certainly in your life, but those moments where you're like, man, <laughs> I need to pray for forgiveness. And recognizing that God's grace is there to forgive us, not to condemn us. But then there's the grace that goes with us through life, sanctifying grace. It's the idea of of the life that helps us to learn and grow and develop so that, so that you know, faced with that situation again, you realize, I'm going to handle that differently this time. I've learned some things. My spiritual life has developed, and the grace of God will get me through this in ways that I couldn't have done it before. The grace that helps us to learn and grow. We all need grace times three. 
Because we're all broken. We're all broken. And we're aware that one of the truisms of life is that the most difficult person to forgive is, is yourself. But sometimes we too need to reach out for that grace of God. So, in this moment, you may, you may be thinking about whether you're more like that shattered glass or coffee mug with the crack in it. Thinking about decisions and events in your life where you experienced your own sense of brokenness. Recognizing, man, I, re- I really need to ask God to forgive me. And I need to be willing to make the changes that I need to make, to you know, leave your life of sin, to make the changes, to repent, to orient myself in a different way so that I can more and more reflect that grace and goodness of God in my life. So today there is hope for the broken. Because Jesus sees us as children of God, not defined by our sin. Jesus offers us forgiveness for our brokenness to help us to grow. And Jesus offers us new life. It's a fresh start. It's a new day. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. That is always amazing. A grace in our life that um, is far, far greater than anything we've said or done. And yet a grace that we so often don't claim. We don't accept. We feel that we shouldn't. We feel judged. We feel condemned. And yet, there you are with open arms. Seeing us not defined by our sin, but seeing us as your child. So may, may we receive that grace in ways that we experience healing from our brokenness and can step toward that new life that you promise us in your son, Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.